Good morning. Welcome to Grace. My name is Brad Talley. I am the teaching elder here at Grace. If you're here for the first time, we're so grateful that you have chosen to be here. Messages about choices today, grace-filled choices. We're glad that you chose to be here uh, this morning. Just a couple of things I want to mention, a couple of needs that we have. Um, one, children's ministry. Uh, if you've been here for a while, you haven't heard this kind of plea for a while to where we say we have some gaps that must be filled if we're going to have any kind of children's ministry, functioning children's ministry this fall. For a long time, we have been blessed with a good number of workers in children's ministry. But now, um, we have a number of people who were in the DO school or some other school at Campbell and job moving, and we've lost about four or five people all at the same time. So we, we continue to grow in our numbers of children. We need some workers. And those of you who are older, you know, it used to be that the older uh, men and women would serve in children's ministry. Now it's kind of like I put in my time. I don't have to do that. Look, we're, we're not asking for a whole lot. Once a month, just if you would, uh, see Keisha Colbreth after um, the service and let Keisha know that, hey, I'm willing to serve on that rotation, uh, if you would. And then also, I just wanted to say, uh, Grace Community Church is, without question, I hear this all the time. It's not just me perceiving this. I hear it is just about the friendliest place I have ever been. And almost everybody feels that way, but not everybody does every week. Occasionally, we have people come in and and they stand for 10, 15 minutes before the service, after the service, and nobody speaks to them. So, look, I know it's just one of those things that happens, and God is sovereign, and all of that. Most of you who were here, you've come in in the last 10 years, you knew from the minute you walked in, this is the place that we want to be, or very shortly after you walked in, this is the place that we want to be. Um, but... And, and truly, not many people get missed like that, but some do. So let me encourage you. Get outside of your own little group. As David was talking about this morning, relationships we have with one another. Speak to people that you don't normally speak to. And when you say, oh, are you new here at Grace? And they say, no, I've been coming for five years. That's okay, too. It's all right. Sorry if you make that. We all get it. We all understand. Uh, so... <clears throat> Just those things to mention. Well, let me ask you this. I, I said that the message today is about choices. Would you agree with this statement? You are a product of the choices that you make along the way in your life. You are a product of your own choices. Scripture would indeed agree with such a statement in, in one sense. Now, don't get me wrong. Look, if you grow up in the inner city... If you grow up in poverty, life is going to be a lot different from you, from, from the one who grows up going to private school, the finest private schools. Choices that are in front of you are not the same as the choices that are in front of another person. But it doesn't matter where you are on the economic scale, your choices determine a great deal about your life. And most people would not only agree with such a statement, they wouldn't claim that it has, or they wouldn't state, well, that's nothing more than a faith claim. It's just the way the world works. Your choices determine where you go in life. And, and it may seem like, some people get away with making bad choices and they are rewarded for it. It may seem like that, and it is like that oftentimes for a while. But in the end, our choices catch up with us. Everyone understands that the choices we make play a significant role in the trajectory of our lives. The Bible supports the idea that your choices have a profound impact on your life. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. When a person says that his secret to a long life is little to no exercise and smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, we understand that that's an anomaly, right? It's like that's, nobody says, okay, that's the model. I, I, I want to live to be 98, so that's what I'm going to do. We recognize that there's something crazy going on with this guy's genes, and it doesn't usually work that way. W one of the reasons that we recognize the importance of our choices 
is that the law of God is written on our hearts according to Romans 2. And we recognize this according to our own experiences as well. I mean, deep down, we know about right or wrong. Whether or not we have encountered this particular circumstance with, and the choices with which we are faced at the moment. Whether we've encountered this before or not. We have a sense about what is right, what is wrong. With the law of God written on our hearts, a lot of people feel that we must, or most of us feel early on, that we must make good choices so that when we die, we'll go to heaven. The problem with concluding that is that according to Scripture, one bad choice, one bad choice keeps you from a perfect and holy God that we've been singing about this morning. Only one. And that one choice is inevitable. Because we are sinners to begin with. We're born with sin. And so sinners are going to sin. Our only hope of heaven, according to what the word tells us, is to trust the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross as payment. For our sins. In repentance and faith, we are saved and counted as righteous before the Lord. We're not righteous, but we are counted righteous because Jesus' sacrifice is good for us. When we go to places and, and, and we look at this swanky place and we say, they're not letting me in. You know, if Nate trembles with us, they'll say, Oh, you're with Nate? You're in. You're okay. Anybody that would wear a bow tie like that, man, you've got to let that guy in. And aren't you just glad to be along for the ride? Aren't you glad? Well, that's Jesus is righteous. Oh, you're with him. You're counted righteous. So if good works cannot make us worthy of heaven, then do does our behavior really matter after we're saved? I mean, isn't it true that if you're once saved, always saved, so just live any way that you want? Of course that's not right. Yes, good works always matter. It's never okay to think that I can live any way that I want just because I'm saved. In fact, Paul said, may they be condemned for that kind of teaching. Absolutely not the case. Remember... Though, even though the law cannot save us, it expresses the character of God and His requirement for our lives. We are made in God's image and those who are made in the image of God ought to desire to live according to the design of the Creator. But a desire is not enough. We cannot, we cannot accomplish that in our own strength. Only in our union with Christ can we live in a way that pleases the Lord. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the title of this message is Grace-Filled Choices. Obey God. Absolutely. But remember, we do not obey in order to be accepted by God. God, don't you think that what I'm doing is good? Well, there is nothing good in us apart from Jesus. Don't you think I'm good enough to be to heaven? Surely if this person... I used to have a relative that would say, Well, surely the Lord's going to let her into heaven. She's so good to cats. <laughs> and my relative believed that with everything in her. No. Even though we don't obey in order to be accepted by God, we obey Scripture because Jesus loves us and has redeemed us. Fill in our hearts with gratitude and with a desire to live for Him. And look, that desire ebbs and flows in the Christian life. We Sometimes we are much more passionate about serving the Lord. Other times we are pretty passionate about serving the flesh. But God never leaves us in that place, in this place. Allison was saying how much she liked that slide, you know, the Lord disciplines everyone he loves. He, when we get off track, he disciplines us and brings us back to him. That's what we have just finished in Hebrews 
chapter 12, and now we're moving on. Is, is all of this confusing to you? Hopefully, as we work through the text, Hebrews 12, verses 12 to 17, it will become clearer. In, in order to make sense of today's text, though, we have to realize that in verse 12, in, in verses 4 through 11, the author of Hebrews was talking about the discipline that the Lord builds into our lives. And the discipline for these particular readers was persecution. So that may seem strange to you. It's not that they had done anything wrong, but God was molding them, forming them into the image of Christ through these awful things that they considered to be awful things that were happening to them. But... He talks in the first three verses about running the race, looking to Jesus. Then he picks back up in in verse 12. So in order to get the full context, we're going to actually read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll skip over to uh, verse 12. So as is our custom at Gracewell, I'll ask you to stand if you would. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, starting in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. He's talking to believers, this sin that clings to us. Lay it aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now verse 12, therefore, all the way back to verse 3, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You may think that your bitterness about a lost job or a broken relationship is only affecting you. Anytime there's bitterness in our lives, it affects many people. It's poison that seeps out. So don't allow this root of bitterness to grow up and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. I'm just going to stop right here and say we're going to realize when we come to this studying it that this is more about spiritual adultery than it is physical adultery that the writer is talking about. But it's very interesting to me how often food and sexual immorality are together in Scripture. They sat down to eat and they rose up to play. Satan is a great imitator of God. We come to the table. It's a very important thing for believers to gather at the meal. But it can easily go with a lack of discipline. It just goes in the wrong way. For you know, verse 17, you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, rejected by God, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. We'll think about what that means in a little bit. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful even for the warnings. Lord, in life we, we look around and we see signs that say bridge out ahead. And we're grateful for that sign. Lord, we, we have blood tests that warn us that something is amiss in our bodies. We're grateful for the warnings that you give. Not pleasant oftentimes but meaningful. There is much beautiful encouragement in this text, even as we are warned against living for ourselves. So, Lord, we pray that you would show it to us and speak to our hearts and strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you and be seated. For those of you who are just getting here over the past few weeks or months, we're nearing the end of a study in this profound book, New Testament book of Hebrews, which was really like a sermon on paper. I was looking back over some of the early sermons this past week from the book of Hebrews, and you know the pattern where we always, there's generally an introduction and there's some way of tying our present lives into what the text is going to say. And then we read the text. But the very first sermon, I just said, stand if you would for the word of God. That's the way Hebrews starts. It starts like a preacher. God spoke in the past times through his prophets in various ways. Now he has spoken us to us in these last days through his son, Jesus. And Hebrews, up until the very end, is written like a sermon. It's just building on itself all the way through. If you're going to understand this sermon, you're going to have to hang with it. We have been hanging for a long time. And by the way, I'm just going to say that most likely this message is going to mean more to those of you who have been hearing Hebrews all along than those of you who are just coming in. There is plenty there for you. But go back. Let me encourage you to go back and listen or read the messages that are online. The, the manuscript is on there as well as the audio. So we're in Hebrews and, and the case is being built. It was written to a small group of mostly, if not entirely, Jewish Believers who were giving serious thought about walking away from, the, from Jesus and going back to their Jewish brothers and sisters in the synagogues and just living according to the law. So they were considering very seriously. It's not that they were going to abandon God. They were just going to abandon Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is saying, if you abandon Jesus, you are abandoning God. Furthermore, if you abandon him, there's no way back. That's the point of that. Of, that's one of the points of, of Esau that we'll get to in a little bit. One, one of the prominent themes of Hebrews is, is a stern warning about the consequences of walking away from Jesus. And next week we'll encounter the last of five warning passages in Hebrews. It's important to consider the larger context of the warnings as we come to this passage about proper choices and holiness. Time and again, when I'm reading through Hebrews, I'm thinking that he's going to say, All right now, you better watch how you live your life. You better watch how you behave because that's the standard for knowing whether or not you're a Christian. And time and again, I'm wrong. Time and again, he says, Look, do not... Base your relationship with God on the way that you live, but you base your relationship on your you base your relationship with God on your relationship with Jesus. The other will fall into place. Obedience always follows true faith. Faith does not always follow obedience. Does that make sense? Some of you have heard it recently, but there are some new ones today. Faith doesn't always Follow obedience. You can obey and do the right things as best you can. And you compare yourself with others. Well, I'm better than this guy. I'm better than that person. But faith, So faith doesn't always follow obedience. But obedience always follows genuine faith. Not perfectly. But it, your life moves in a particular direction if you know Jesus. So the point is... Don't base your relationship with God on your good works, but on your relationship with Jesus. At the same time, it's abundantly clear from Scripture that when Jesus unites himself with an individual, that life, his or her life, will reflect the Lord's heart for his people. That's why we find 613 Old Testament commands. And in the New Testament, that's whittled down to 1,050. But the New Testament is a lot shorter than the Old Testament. So you get the point. A lot of those commands in the New Testament are all those, those, those um, encouragements to obey Scripture are just restating the Old Testament laws. But one thing is clear. It's expected that believers will make good choices. And it's not too strong to say by any means that if you live a life totally inconsistent with the way of God, 
then you cannot have assurance that you will live eternally with the Lord. And although I believe with all of my heart eternal security, I believe also that the book of Hebrews is teaching this. If you walk with God for a long time, and then you walk away, there's no evidence that you belong to God. Which is why we must not soften these warning passages. But we say, we understand the author of Hebrews, which means God himself is saying, don't walk away, don't walk away, don't walk away. And if you fall, repent and come back to the Lord. All of that we'll be talking about, we'll be talking about this morning. So, so, good works do not secure a spot for you in heaven. But the recipients of grace will live as though they belong to Jesus. Not a perfect life. My goodness, this life is a struggle. And you may slip away for a while. But you won't stay away. Well... I love the Lord, but I just, I just don't think church is for me. Wow, it, it, Scripture is almost as clear about this. You have no relationship with the church. You have no relationship with God. It doesn't mean this church, but God's people. You have to be connected to God's people. And life is hard, and you may fall away, but you can't stay away. It, there's too much at stake. Well, so now what works, I don't know how it all works. All I know is the Bible warns us, do not walk away from your faith in Christ. Do not walk away from the church. Hang in there. And if you fall, get up. That's the difference between a righteous person and an unrighteous person. The righteous person falls on his face, her face, and gets up. Keeps on going. So... It's highly unlikely a true believer, true believer will abandon the faith. In verse 12, the author of Hebrews encourages his readers to, well, to be encouraged. Lift up drooping hands, strengthen weak knees, make straight paths for your feet. Imminent persecution. Knowing that you could be dragged out of your house at any moment. Imminent persecution has a way of focusing all of your senses. And when it occurs over a long period of time, you can imagine it's quite draining. Remember, verse 12 is tied to the opening chapter, uh, opening verses of chapter 12, where believers are encouraged to run the race with endurance. Every runner of a race at some point of a long-distance race gets tired. And several of you, I, I think I asked not long ago, how many of you run marathons or half marathons? Don't you know, especially people that don't do it all the time, Get tired, and at some point they're thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this. It's always helpful when teammates and coaches and supporters shout encouragement to, the, to endure. Hang in there. You can do this. You can do this. Come on, I know you can do this. That's the exhortation of verses 12 to 13. But there is so much more being said here than simply hang in there. As is the case with a large majority of the verses in Hebrews, some Old Testament verses either being directly quoted or alluded to at the very least. And that's the case in our text. Understand this. Whenever a New Testament author quotes an Old Testament verse, he expects his readers to know not only that Old Testament verse and where to find it, but he also expects them to understand the greater context because, once again, he is saying so much more than just quoting the verse. That's the case here. Verse 12 recalls Isaiah 35. And verse 13 comes from Proverbs 4.26. Alluded to, if it were a direct quote, you'd see it. But when we get to Isaiah 35, you're going to say, yeah, I see exactly where it's coming from here. 
So we're going to take a, <coughs> a few minutes in, in Isaiah 35 to see exactly how the author was using it and how relevant it is for us in our time. But since it's unlikely that many of us, I, I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say that none of us is likely to be dragged out of our homes tonight with a quick trial overnight and executed in a horrible fashion tomorrow. I, I don't think we're going to face this. We're not facing the exact same kind of persecution that these believers were facing. Um, but <laughs> there is plenty for us to draw from in Isaiah 35. I mean, it might be that you're facing persecution on a lower level. Maybe you've been bypassed for a job or, or you've been ostracized at work or in your neighborhood or in the family. That can be quite discouraging, as can a protracted illness or a broken relationship or, or having a parent or a child or a sibling to just walk away from Jesus. Maybe you're discouraged in your marriage. I mean, your marriage may be failing, and we would never know. And that's sad. Because this text indicates that we ought to be helping one another at the level that we will know. Maybe you're failing in your marriage or maybe you're committed to God's design here on earth until death do you part. <clears throat> but your marriage isn't great. And yet here you are for the rest of your life. Maybe you want your marriage to be wonderful, but your spouse is not as committed to, 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 to God's design for marriage as you are. Maybe your roommate or your housemate, your sweet mate, is not an easy person. Maybe you didn't get into the school you desired. Maybe dealing with your aging parents is more difficult than you could have imagined. Imagine. In fact, I'm going to say for most it is. You just can't imagine how tough it is when you're younger to deal with aging parents. And you wonder when you get there if you've ever really understood how broken this world is before now. In other words, this text, Isaiah 35, applies to you. We're going to read verses 1 to 8 and then hone in on verses 3 and 4. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He shall come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Did you ever wonder where that phrase comes from? Streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Back in Hebrews 12, 14, when we get back there, the author will say that without holiness, it is impossible to see the Lord. I'm sure it's related to Isaiah 35. Verse 8, but we're going to focus on Isaiah 35, 3 and 4 for the next few moments. And even as we do, I'm going to remind you that in verses 1 and 2, the picture that Isaiah was painting, that the Holy Spirit was using Isaiah to paint, was a picture of what life is going to be like 
when, when the Lord returns and he sets up his, his kingdom on earth fully recognized, fully realized as the kingdom of God on earth. So that paints the picture here. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, anxious hearts all over here today. I know there are many anxious hearts. This is what the Lord is saying to you. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and the recompense of God. He will come with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. God's promises to his covenant people, his promise was and is, though you're suffering now, you can trust the God who will always do right and who will come for you. He will come with vengeance against the enemies of his people, against those who persecute you. He will come to save you. Now look, like I said, we don't have... People that are likely to break down our doors tonight and drag us off to kill us. Can you imagine if that were the case? If we had gathered in smaller groups because of the potential for persecution and we were hiding and we didn't know when we would ever see these people again because we may be killed. Horrible things done to our children. You can imagine that alluding to Isaiah 35 Verses 3 and 4. It's pretty encouraging. <clears throat> Though the enemies of God's people seem to have total control and power over the church, the day will come when God will deliver his people and he will judge their enemies as well. Now you may be thinking, ah, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I think I, I think I feel guilty about being happy that God is going to avenge my enemies. Well, that's a good thing. I mean, it, it, it ought to be so. We're called to forgive our enemies. And when you see Paul crying out in Romans 9, I would do anything if God would save my people. And then you see the martyrs crying out in Revelation. How long, O Lord, before you avenge our deaths? You recognize that there's a different perspective now and then. But we can keep in our hearts and minds the perspective that one day everything wrong is going to be made right. Our time today as believers is not a time to wish ill for anyone. But it is a time to trust God to do the right thing. Always. Even as we are called to pursue justice in our day. It is important that we understand that justice can only be accomplished fully in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In that day, the eyes of the blind will be made to see. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will run at the resurrection of, of our bodies at the end time all things will be restored to what they were in the very beginning. That's the promise of the resurrection. And when you get past your squeamishness, understandable squeamishness about God exacting vengeance against his enemies, his enemies who also often oppose God's people, then you'll recognize the importance and benefit of trust and not overreaction it's right that we call for justice in our day really what we're all calling for is fairness but you know what the problem with fairness is don't you your definition of fairness is not my definition of fairness it's an entirely subjective thing and so you listen to this group we demand justice and you say, yeah, I agree with that. And then you hear the other group, we demand justice. And justice is only accomplished in the cross and resurrection of Christ. When someone does something to hurt you, 
It can't be undone. Now, there can be confession, repentance, some level of compensation for what's been done to you. And truly, you can forgive and be free from bitterness. But the wrong cannot ever be undone. Until the resurrection, that is. At the resurrection, in the end, all wrongs will be made right. Jesus' resurrection is the promise of our resurrection to eternal life. Look, don't you know what it's like when someone does you wrong and you just can't wait for that person to get his or hers? And then it happens and it's kind of like... Not as as fulfilled as I thought I was. Well, there's a reason for that. Justice only happens in light of the cross and the resurrection. Do not despair in these uncertain days. Trust God to make all things right in His time and in His sovereign wisdom. In Hebrews 12, verse 14, you'll discover that when you trust God to take care of the inequities in this life, you will find yourself in a much better place to strive for peace with everyone. The peace here is first and foremost peace amongst the body of Christ. It's with one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord, but surely we can apply this to all of humankind. Strive with peace for everyone, I hear this verse quoted all the time. We're in Romans where he says, As much as it as lies within you, live at peace with all men. And it's kind of like, well, you just can't live in peace with some people. And that's right. And there's a sense in which that's right. But there's just a slight nuance to really what the Lord is saying there. If you've got a conflict with somebody else, let it be his or her problem, not yours. Don't let it be your fault. But it's true. That you are not going to be able to live at peace with everyone, but strive, especially with your brothers and sisters. Live in peace. And don't think of your brothers and sisters like you do sports or politics or academic disagreements among certain schools of thought. Don't think like that. God has built in this diversity and we learn from one another. There is much to learn from one another. We cannot afford to be arrogant. That's one of the points of striving for peace. We are also called to strive for holiness because without holiness, we will not be allowed into heaven. The emphasis here is that we help one another strive for holiness. And we keep a gospel perspective with regard to a world that has come Unhinged. Now, now at first blush, verse 14 sounds exactly like you better watch your step or you will find yourself not saved. But before that thought can come into our minds, verse 15 reminds us that we are, our holiness comes as a result of, the, of God's grace, not human effort. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. When you base your life on the standard of good works, it's easy to become bitter when life doesn't go according to how you think it should go. we got an example coming up. Since you're basing your life on law instead of grace, like Esau, you build a law that will work for you. It's predictable then when the consequences of your choices, your decisions, are painful. Well, you're going to probably react with whining and bitterness. It's not that Esau was sorry for what he had done. He was sorry about the consequences of his choices. Look again at verses 16, 17. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he Found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You remember the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob came in from hunting and he said, Oh, give me a pot of stew. And Jacob, who was always, always had an angle, said, 
uh, well, uh, okay, uh, if you'll sell me your birthright, what good is my birthright going to do me now? Twice the blessing of the inheritance. I'm not going to get, just yes, let me have it. Later, Jacob tricked his father Isaac into giving him the blessing that should have gone to the elder, eldest. It, it, it's interesting, isn't it, that the New Testament offers no rebuke of Jacob for his deceit. Not saying that it was right, I'm just saying that God doesn't bring that up. And yet Esau is said to have been sexually immoral. If you just looked at Jacob and Esau, I think a lot of you, a lot of us would have chosen Esau over Jacob. We just would have. And we come into it with our minds already made up. Isaac, a man of faith, chose Esau over Jacob. But God chose Jacob over Esau. The Old Testament doesn't tell us that Esau was sexually immoral, but Jewish tradition says that he was. Certainly you could say, well, he married the Canaanite women, and Rebekah said, oh, this is a curse to my soul. It's so burdensome because he's married these women. She set the stage for mothers-in-law everywhere. That's, you know, just, it's not a good thing for Rebekah to do that. But, but Isaac... Listen to his wife, and Esau listened, and he said, okay, well, then maybe I should do a little better. And he sought to, but didn't really get anywhere with it. There are a lot of scholars that think the author of Hebrews was indicating that Esau was spiritually unfaithful, that he despised God's blessing to him as the firstborn. He threw away a relationship with God. In other words, he was spiritually guilty of spiritual adultery. Now, this is a pretty strong statement. When you know people that are as good, moral, upstanding people as anybody in the community, and yet God says you are guilty of Immorality, sexual immorality. It, your spiritual adultery is so bad that it's considered to be sexually immoral. So Esau was all of this because he was hungry. Choices matter. When Hebrews tells us that he sought a place of repentance but found none, it simply means he sought to reverse Isaac's blessing of Jacob, but it was too late. Esau had made his decision when he sold his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew, a bowl of stew. The point the author was making to his readers was clear to them. Do not walk away from God's offer of salvation to you in Jesus We'll talk more about that next week. But let's finish our time this morning with a few points of application from our text. Beginning with choices matter and the most important is Jesus. That's the whole book of Hebrews in a nutshell. Of course, I could give about 25 summary statements and say the book of Hebrews is summed up in this one thing. And then it's, you know, there are 24 others as well. I hope your only confidence of heaven is in Jesus, not your ability to keep the law. How you live your life, though, is absolutely important. But remember, it's only by God's grace, through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that our obedience has any meaning whatsoever. Second, didn't spend a whole lot of time on this, but this is an important point. You may not be as weary as you think you are. Find strength in the promises of God. The recipients of the letter, uh, 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 letter of Hebrews were pretty discouraged. Wondering if maybe they had been wrong about Jesus. Maybe it's not that you're questioning your relationship with Christ, but an unexpected illness or the shock of a broken relationship has you weary. Or the relentless pace of life. Has you exhausted. Your heart is heavy. And your, your arms and your hands are just drooping. You put on a good face. But if the world could see how you really are. It would be like this. Oh, I just. I don't know. I'm just tired. I'm weary. 
Let the Lord bring healing to your soul as He reminds you in His Word that at the resurrection, all will be restored to perfection. Not only the wrongs committed against you, but the wrongs you have committed yourself. Justice is only found in the cross and then at the resurrection. Pursue justice, but remember, it's ultimately only found at the cross. And as you find strength from the Lord in His Word, be careful to take seriously the responsibility to help your brothers and sisters walk in holiness. According to our text, we are to help one another maintain unity in the body and to help one another pursue holiness by pursuing Jesus. And we are to help one another with life's disappointment, fighting Disappointments, fighting bitterness by trusting God's good promises to his children and reminding one another, God is sovereign. He loves you. His only desire is for his perfect will, which is the will that we all want to be played out in this life and the next. Look, trying to live your life on your own is like trying to play a baseball game where the only person on your team is you. You know, you're pitching, the umpire has to go back and get the ball. I mean, he's got to wear a catcher's mitt or whatever. You're the only one on the team. Absurd. It's impossible. It doesn't work that way. The Christian life was never designed to be lived on its own. So quit trying to do it. Join the church if this is where you think God is leading you. Connect with a home group. Invest in a ministry. Get connected. But remember this, the main focus of this is not get connected so that other people can help you with your Christian life. It's get connected so that you can help others. I don't have anything to offer. You have exactly what God designed for you to offer. We desperately need you to be connected, to be involved. Lots of people come in and go out. This is not the place for me. That's fine. If this is the place for you, connect and help your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're going to obey this charge, then you will need to keep short accounts with God. Esau made one decision that cost him everything. One Decision. Now, it was indicative of who he was and is, who he is, who he was at the time, who many of us are now. Esau's problem was that he was all about Esau. You know what? Even when we follow Jesus, that can quickly become our problem as well. Esau didn't really repent. He simply regretted the way that life had gone, even though he was responsible for a lot of the problems and the disappointments he endured. The lesson for us is to repent quickly and often as we become aware of our sinful thoughts and our desires and our behavior. How many times do you think you've finally conquered something and then you haven't? You know, that sin is right back with you. Repent. As believers, the best example for me in the New Testament, Peter and Jesus, when Jesus was washing their feet, Peter says, Lord, you're not washing my feet. You're too holy for that. He says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then wash all of me. No, you don't need all of you to be washed. You need your feet. They get dirty. Our feet get dirty in this world. And we're sinful, and the dirt just comes out right there. It's kind of like if you ever, you know... Had the ion cleanse in your feet, whether it's legit or not. Who knows? I'm not going to say it. Surely seems so when all that gunk comes out of my feet. You know, it's kind of like there it is. It's all there's all my what's inside of my body, and it's pretty ugly. It and we need our feet cleansed, and we do that by repenting quickly and often. Really, I'm going to live a life of. Well, it depends on who this life is about. You or Jesus. And if it's about Jesus, then you will repent when he reveals sin to you. I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you. That's why I'm so good on this point. 
That's why we need to repent often. When our accounts with God are short, we are in a position to apply this text in the last manner. Only obey God's command, I mean, by His grace. Obey God's command by His grace. Since our obedience to God's word is only meaningful in Jesus, let the grace of God fill your heart and mind every day, working in you a spirit of obedience. It's not so much, well, I'm just going to do this, as it is, oh, Lord, thank you so much what you have done for me. Help me to live this life. Cause me to live this life. Make my union with Christ meaningful. Hebrews has told us that we have a great high priest who endured the weakness of human flesh and did so without sinning. He was tempted, but he never sinned. And therefore, we are free to come boldly to the throne of grace where we can find help, help to live a righteous and a holy life in our time of need. So is it a big deal whether I sin or not as a believer? Absolutely. It's a big deal. If you belong to Jesus, you will want to obey Him. You will know in your heart that this is not a one and done choice you make to follow Him. It's day in and day out. As you look to the Lord, let His grace wash over you, causing His holiness to be your growing, passionate pursuit. Let's pray. As you come to pray, the Holy Spirit puts His finger on those places in your life that you need to confess. Just do that. Give you just a moment. Confess your sins to the Lord. Now, even if you're still confessing, just stop for a moment. Just focus on the Trinity. Worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, this holy and awesome God adores you. He wouldn't take anything for you. You are the apple of his eye. Every good thing in your life, it's from him. You may be miserable in your sin, wondering how you're ever going to get out. And thinking, oh no, does this passage say that I'm not a true believer? You desperately want to please him. Look, the difference between a true believer and a non-believer is that an unbeliever really doesn't care about his sin. It's not that big a deal. If you're miserable in your sin, wondering how to ever get out, John Piper, quoting his friend, said, We worshiped our way into sin. We must worship our way out of sin. And we're going to begin right now. Would you please stand?